This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Let's hit that beautiful intro music. Hey, everybody. This is Joshua Lewis with The Remnant Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We've got an exciting episode for you. Uh, Probably the hottest of topics. The hottest refuted, the hottest debated. It's a a fiery topic. That we've had yet in the Remnant Radio on the Facebook. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For those of you who are not aware, Remnant Radio is a theology podcast. We invite people pastors and teachers from different churches and denominations onto the show to talk about theology. Uh, We discuss stuff. We agree about stuff. We disagree about stuff. We are trying to model godly character in discussing this theology. So we hope that you are enjoying the weekly, weekly remnant radio show. Uh, Michael, how has your week been, man? Good. Slowly potty training my son and trying to get myself out of the world of diapers. Yeah. Which, I mean, we still got some ways to go because we have another kid that's just newly born. I've only got one more. And yeah. the boy is learning from the other two. Yeah, I we we found that chocolate really works. Yes, so I found that chocolate with the stevia in it, so that way the kid's not like on a sugar rush. But as a reward, you mean? Yeah, as a reward, not as a laxative. For... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't sure where that was going. Yeah, no, no. But it's been a fun week. And he's so cute too. It's like the funnest thing to watch. But well, that's. Me talking on the computer. <laughs> I unmuted the live video. Uh, so so we've got a guest uh, on the show today. Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry before we dive into the topic. Awesome. Well, we are in McKinney, Texas, and um, we launched Anchor Church about three and a half years ago, and we are uh, seeing a whole lot of awesome stuff happen. But anyway, but we have five kids, my wife and I, Sarah, uh, four daughters and one son, yeah. and they range from 17 to eight. And... Uh, it's just been a lot of fun, pastoring, planting. Years. Exactly, man. I lost <laughs> all my hair. Four daughters, man, that'll change your life <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. We've seen just a lot of salvations, a lot of transformation, churches growing, buying land, building a new building and all that kind of stuff. So good stuff happening. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Well, we've had a, we've had a good week here. Uh, I just finished up filming uh, 10 episodes with Dr. Scott Harrell on the Trinity. So yeah. that's going to be fun. We're going to be releasing that April 1st is the plan. Got a video coming out tomorrow that will kind of, uh, it's the first teaser, if you will, of him talking about that. So really, I wish I could have done that with you. It was just I know. Unfortunate. Family circumstances and all that. Yeah. yeah. No worries. Uh, next time. We Next will. time. Uh, we're going to do a, a Word of Faith episode where we're going to be talking about the Word of Faith. I think it's eight parts with Michael Mitchell. Maybe you can tag into that one. Dude, that'll yes. Be, that'll be interesting. For those of you who aren't aware where we stand on that, stay tuned. Um, uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit about the subject, complementarianism, egalitarianism, uh, the misconceptions, rightly defined them, those kinds of things. And the history. Where did it come from? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, from from my understanding, the first time I was exposed to this was from uh, Wayne Grudem, and uh, who's a famous theologian, wrote um, has written a lot, done a lot on systematic theology. Um, lots of professors who have, I mean, lots of students uh, and theologians who've been to seminary have probably read his systematic theology book. 
And um, back in the 1980s, he and John Piper got together with a, a team of people and were doing a lot of research and work on um, what the uh, responsibilities and roles are for men and women in leadership. And I use that word role loosely because the, the, there's not a there's not a word in scripture like in the in the text of role of women and women. So it's been assigned to trying to categorize what men can do and what women can do. And in that whole study, they were trying to build some parameters around um, what what women are allowed to do in church and what men are allowed to do in church and then what's expected of men in the home and, and all this. And so the conversation came out to lead into what's called a Danvers, you know, statement or Danvers paper. And it was a paper that was written, a document that was written defining um, by John Piper and Wayne Grudem, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And then they got into the conversation of how do we summarize biblical manhood, biblical womanhood into a single sentence? And they said, here's where we stand on this in the Danvers paper. And it is that God created man and woman equally with different roles in the home and in the church. And then they got to the point of kind of defining that more specifically and said, how do we shrink this down to one word, what we're trying to do? And so they started off with traditionalist, you know, this is a traditionalist perspective. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't really connect well because there's a lot of traditions that are weird mm-hmm. in this. Do they and, say traditionalist as in like this yeah. is the the historical perspective? Yeah. We're yeah. disagreeing. Yeah, with. this is a traditionalist perspective. And they were like, Yeah, this isn't a good word because there's a lot of traditions in this whole thing of men and women's um, leadership and what was cultural and what wasn't. That's kind of weird. And so don't want to use that. And then they came up with the word hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And they're like, even though there is some hierarchy here, it's not completely hierarchical. And that doesn't really uh, communicate what we want to communicate. And literally, John Piper and Wayne Grudem kind of coined this phrase, um, complementarian. And so complementarianism became the word that summarized a more traditional perspective of the the role of the man as being uh, the head of the wife, uh, male leadership, male eldership, and those things as an, an ex- explanation for God created men and women equal, but they have differing roles in the home and in the church, right? So that's complementarianism. Egalitarianism is a word that's been around for a long time, longer than that. And it was defined as God created men and women equally, with, um, but there's no differentiation of their roles and what they can and cannot do in the home of the church. And mm-hmm. so it's it's more loosely defined. And, and so, this came from a secular uh, uh, conversation, not even... Yeah. And egalitarian kind of in the in the church stuff, I mean, you, you won't even find this language debated until you get to around 56, in 1956, 57, and then in the 60s. And then you'll see a, a, a lot of people kind of, even the Southern Baptist Convention, went into a, a much more loose egalitarian position until they got a new president, you know, after there was a season of time the where 70s they, revolution. Yeah. And then they came back around and were more conservative and lots of universities had, they literally like removed presidents and founders of the university who were becoming more egalitarian and brought in conservative professors to try mm-hmm. to kind of shore a lot of this up, you know, and it's way past all that now. Yeah. So, so uh, historically this has been a conversation that's been happening for a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, and as far as we can tell, the church has always uh, 
had two different positions on this. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, we got records all the way up to the early church, a couple mm-hmm. hundred years after Christ of women in ministry. And then guys saying, no, and that's mm-hmm. not a thing. So you've got the church kind of divided throughout history on this topic as well. It, has that conversation been framed with theological language? Uh, like, I mean, do they just say women in ministry, women preaching? I mean, do they just get down to the specifics when they're talking about this? Well, there's... Um there, there's a couple of um, Anglican priests and Anglican theologians mm-hmm. that have um, been more uh, deliberate in defending the egalitarian view, and they they'll trace the language even back to the Reformation movement and um, in language that was used, and even trying to summarize that was in the 70s. It's the first time the word roles mm-hmm. was used. And so I'm not sure what the language was used before that, but there was definitely, I mean, I mean people didn't have a lot of freedom yeah. in with men and women's role. There was, there was also absolutely nothing in the Catholic church because it was, it, you know, the, it got kind of wild once anybody tried to take over leadership at all. No doubt. But before that there was debates with some of the early church fathers, you know, with men and women and, you know, but. But you don't see anything like that in Catholicism or during that age, and you don't until people start getting scriptures and start yeah. interpreting for themselves and start trying to define what's cultural, what's not cultural, what was actually stated for all times, and what was actually just something that was true then but not true now. And that brings us to a good place so that we've kind of framed those conversations to those of you who are listening. Um, you have the egalitarian position, you have the complementarian position, and there's tons of gray areas in betweens of different shades. Uh, you've got uh, one-point complementarians and two-point complementarians, which is something that you brought up to my attention that I'd, I'd never heard of before. Mm-hmm. I suppose I've always called a one-point complementarian an egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it would be good to define that before we even get into this. Yeah, so um, Wayne Grudem, who some people call him the father of complementarianism, but he didn't, he's not the father of all, he's, he's one he of the, the fathers source, of that word. Or is he? So he's, uh, That's an he and Piper, joke. John Piper are amazing uh, scholars and are very faithful with the word and are way smarter than me and my friends or my friends and I, but your friends sitting around this table and me. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, um, so I'm not, I'm not challenging that. And they have a whole lot more at stake. They're leaders of universities. They feel like, like I feel a call and a burden to really shepherd this flock of people called Anchor Church in McKinney Mm -hmm. and really steward the call of God to multiply and help effectively multiply congregations around the world and things like that. He feels the same about protecting the doctrine of the church. And so um, Wayne Grudem uh, has uh, done a whole lot of work on this and has done a lot of work in regards to how universities are straying in some of their hermeneutics and how they're interpreting scripture. And he's actually been pretty accurate in saying, once you actually give in on this interpretation, when Paul says women remain silent in the churches and I don't permit a woman to speak and those kinds of things, when you start to say that's cultural, then you start to see things of, hey, listen, let's just ordain women. And then you see the language of, hey, let's make women elders. And then you see, hey, let's just allow, um, let's ordain homosexuals. Hey, let's ordain transgender. And, and then you start to cats drift. Was the, yeah, was the reference cats. that Matt used when he was on the show? Yeah. So he, yeah. <laughs> he he's done a lot of work with this. And so he's defined complementarianism as one point and two points. So two points would be this. Um, God created men and women equally with differing roles in the church and in the home, mm-hmm. right? Which means that, that they, they have their specific roles for, the, for women in the church and roles for men in the church. There's also roles for men in the home and roles for women in the home. One point complementarianism, he would define it as 
Um, God has created men and women equally with different roles in the home. Mm-hmm. And he would say they're, they're, the one point complementarian is that there's women are allowed to preach and teach and they have similar roles and you know can function that way. Um, and then egalitarian is there, there are no differences. Men can do anything women can do. Women can do anything men can do. And it's, it's, there's no gender specific instructions in the body of Christ. It's all about their giftedness, ability, and what's most fruitful for the so, church. So let me just bring a clarifying question because I've known a lot of, I've had a lot of friends who would call themselves egalitarian. But those same friends would say, but in the home, I believe in headship. Mm-hmm. And so you're, what you're saying is, at least for the for this show, uh, that we're calling that a one-point complementarian. Yeah. That that person is not really egalitarian. Egalitarian would be uh, equal in all things. Right. By yeah. those working definitions, I don't know that I've you, ever met an egalitarian. Like a, like in my church or any of the churches that I've pastored, because they would, as far as I've met, would say, oh, yeah, in the home, there's a specific role for both men and women, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit yourselves to your husbands. Like this is a, a biblical order of the home, but they would go, but not in church. Well, my my former church went that extra step and was yeah. saying, even in the home, there's no yeah. headship. Yeah. Uh, which I was not quite willing to just jump on board with. Um, but it takes time to articulate some of these positions. And, yeah, and for those yeah. of you who are out there, you don't have to pick a side. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to study God's word. You've got to uh, you know, submit this stuff to your local eldership, talk about this stuff, hash this out, make sure that you're being faithful with the scriptures, the people you're talking with are being faithful with the scriptures, which kind of introduces us to our second point today. And I want to make sure that we're very careful about this. Uh, those of you who are tuning in that are complementarian, I want to let you know right now that our egalitarian brothers are our one-point complementarian brothers are really brothers and sisters. Uh, they're not uh, these crazy liberal individuals who are looking at God's word and just trying to twist it and manipulate it so that they can kind of follow, uh, uh, you know, all of the the trends of the day and all of the the, the third wave feminism. They're not just trying to manipulate things because it's easy in our culture. They're honest biblical scholars, guys like Craig Keener, uh, guys. What are some of the the, the theological egalitarians out there? Uh, uh, N.T. Wright, right? Mm-hmm. Well, is, uh, is N.T. Wright a full egalitarian or is well, it a one-point complementarian? One I'm okay. just saying people who don't hold the both church and home and Jack Hayford, you know, there's there some a lot more of the charismatic um, Pentecostal Assembly of God yeah. is egalitarian. Very. But, yeah. but they're they're egalitarian in their permission of women to be elders yeah. and women to be pastors, you know, and women to be ordained. And so they're more egalitarian in that sense. Um, that Grudem would one actually complementarian. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so just for the sake of the conversation, you know, anyone who who believes that there are not restrictions on women in the church, however you want to define that within any any working definition, restrictions and roles, those people are not um, abusive liberal Christians trying to redefine things. They're actually using history uh, and an exegesis and a specific hermeneutic to try to understand the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So we need to give them that. We need to say, okay, we're assuming that you don't have a malicious intent, but that you're just trying to honor God's word to the best of your ability. And to those who are egalitarians who are watching this program, uh, and there's complementarian brothers and sisters who are also watching, please don't think of them as misogynistic wife beaters who are just trying to beat women into submission and and find your place. And don't you know that you're lesser than me? These are just men and women of God who are looking at God's word and trying to comprehend it to the best of their Mm -hmm. ability and be faithful and subject themselves to God's word. So both groups, let's go ahead and assume that the person holding a different position than you, um, are godly people trying to submit themselves to God's word. Uh, Bruxy came on the show um, and he was anti-penal substitutionary atonement. And that's very, very, very uh, uncommon. Yeah, and one, yeah. of, one of the things that he said was, 
the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that the world can see us disagree about topics and see that there is an overwhelming love for one another that the world doesn't have. You can watch the Fox News and the CNN where they bring someone on that disagrees with them and they just want to treat them as horribly as possible. They they bring someone really stupid on the program. Hate speech today. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because they want to look superior and smart. We're not doing that on the show. And we would ask that anyone in the comments go watch a different theology program. I mean, I love you so much. You know, you can watch the program, hear what we say, but please just don't get involved in the comment section. Uh, uh, you know, have a conversation, address the theology, say, I think you're taking this wrong. I think this is what the text says, but don't character assassinate people uh, and, and assume their motive when when t- coming into this conversation, okay? So we love you all. You're all welcome. Be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, be big kids. Uh, and then another thing, final thing. Uh, we've got a phone number. We want you to call in with your questions. 214-233-6292. 214, it's right there on the screen. 233-6292. That's the phone number that you can call. Uh, Michael will be taking your questions. We want these questions to be concise. So if you have to, write them down so that when you call in, you can just, boom, get that question out there as quickly as possible. Once you ask your question, we will mute you on the soundboard. Hang up the phone and answer your question to the best of our ability. If we didn't do that, you can maybe follow up in the comment section. Also, comment sections. If you don't, you know, maybe you're Noah and you're watching from Norway or wherever he's from, uh, just go ahead and ask those comments via text and uh, Michael will be tossing them out to us as well as we get going. So um, when we talk about this uh, theological position of complementarianism and egalitarianism, what are the biggest hangups? Why is this a divisive topic? I mean... Mm-hmm. That's kind of a stupid question, uh, 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 you know, because you're telling women you can't do this and they're women pastors who are doing this. So it's extremely offensive. Um, so so, so I guess what are the dividing marks? What are the, the hermeneutic approaches to this text? Yeah, so I grew up um, in a very conservative denomination uh, background, a Church of Christ, right? And so um, in the churches of Christ, women are not allowed to preach. They're not allowed to teach beyond like the fifth grade and some of the more conservative, you know, arenas. Um, They weren't allowed to sing with a microphone on the platform at all. They weren't allowed to teach publicly. They weren't allowed to, uh, um, you know, have any kind of leadership. Uh, the, it was it was pretty extreme, right? They they could pass communion like down the aisle to the person beside them, but they couldn't stand up in the aisle and administrate communion because it was a form of leadership. Like it was that extreme, right? So um, the first couple of congregations I pastored were Churches of Christ, and so we were we we transitioned from Church of Christ to non denominational in both of the churches that I pastored before I went on staff at Gateway Church in South Lake and some other larger, much larger churches congregations, and even before planting Anchor Church. So I've been a part of very conservative. <laughs> well, I think larger then, than Gateway. I'm like, how large was it? Was well, it no, so not larger planet? than Gateway. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the uh, fish was this. <laughs> I learned a lot about that. So Jack Hayford was a major part of the oversight of Gateway Church, right. and um, is an apostolic elder there and is much more of a, um, a one-point complementarian or even egalitarian in regards to the women's roles in the church mm-hmm. and um, is probably even a little bit more progressive than Gateway is himself. So, um, so as I'm watching all these things and I look at the text of Scripture, you, you can support complementarianism by the text itself, 
because Paul uses number one, there were all Wait, which kind of complementarianism? Yeah, yeah, any of them. So <laughs> okay. the two, two, two point complementarianism, pretty strongly. Um, and the reason is because whether it was because there was a male dominated culture, or because God created man first and then woman, and there were specific roles He defined throughout all time, we can talk about that in this, in this conversation. But but in Scripture, there were twelve apostles, and the twelve Jesus selected were all males. Um, when you look throughout Scripture, you can't find, um, if you're using a hermeneutic of speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where it's silent, and you can't find a necessary inference or an example or a first like example at all of a female preaching to a male audience, there are no examples of that. Um, and so if you use that hermeneutic to say there's no example of a woman elder, there's no example of a woman pastor, there's no example of a woman leading in a congregation, then you have to say, okay, are there any other examples or instructions about this? And you're like, yeah, Paul actually says in this verse, in the exact language is, women remain silent in the churches. I don't permit a woman to speak or you know have authority over man. If they have questions, ask their husbands at home. And then in some places he says, women, when they pray, they should do so with their heads covered. In other places he says, women remain silent in the church, don't speak. Um, wives submit to your husband. So there's language here that leads towards a complementarian view of women have specific roles in the church. Um, Peter says in first Peter three, he tells, you know, women, you're subject to your husbands, husbands, treat your wives as the weaker vessels. You're like, this seems like a different role in the home as well. And so you have biblical, you have scriptures that teach and examples of there being different uh, responsibilities in, in, and so when you look at that, you're like, how do we actually do Christianity? How do we form the church? How do we lead the church? Can women preach? Well, let's look at the Bible. Huh, we don't have an example of a woman preaching in a church. We don't have an example of this, so what do we do with it? And it really forces people to actually dive beneath and say, wow, the Bible also says that a woman should pray with her hair covered. Is that traditional? Is that cultural? I'm going to be a little bit more selective in my hermeneutic and say that was cultural. You don't have to put something on top of your head. What was Paul actually saying there? I don't know. Why, why so, did he say that? Yeah, why did he say that? Why did he say don't wear gold is, and jewelry and braid your hair? Why um, did he say these things in First Timothy 2? Carmel, one of our uh, our viewers right now, is actually asking about that very question. So you, when you, th- this is all about hermeneutics here. It's mm-hmm. how are we going to interpret this, this scripture? Are we going to pull in... Uh, uh, context that we think might apply and then interpret the scripture? Or do we think that we should be able to interpret it using the scriptures alone? And, and that's what you're saying. That's where the, the major breakdown is between the complementarian and egalitarian position. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and, and the case in point with this one, so the the people who apply the, the hermeneutic that you need to bring in historical context that probably applies to the situation would say in that particular uh, passage, that it's when it says um, for as a dishonor for a woman to have her head uncovered because of the angels. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will say, well, that that is a reference to uh, Genesis six, the whole thing about the angels coming down and procreating with women. That hair was considered in the ancient world part of of the genitalia. It was reproduction. What, yeah, the reproduction yeah. reproductive yeah. system. And so, and, and they find that from uh, what's his name, uh, Hippocrates. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In his Hippocratic Oath, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whole teaching on that. Yeah. yeah, we've actually have it on our YouTube page. I'll link it oh, up so after this. It. Yeah, we did head coverings. Me and John Bunn, the guy who came on with oh, the okay. charismatic thing, and we referenced that as the last point. You have to watch kind of towards the end for that to be explained. And I linked the article there as well. So, so. then the the deeper question then between the egalitarian complementarian question is hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which when is it okay to say well, that's cultural 
When is it not okay? And there is the whole slippery slope argument on that. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to say, well, this is a cultural issue, mm -hmm. where else are you going to apply that? Mm -hmm. And and how far can we go with that? And when does it start to just get crazy? And that's, that's you know, for those of you who are listening to to Matt, who came on the show, and he said, you know... Uh, Matt people, Chandler. Matt Chandler, yeah. So th those who... Uh, are egalitarian or baptizing cats. It was a joke for him to say that some of the people in his church were were scared that if they embraced this, what else were they going to let go? If they're going to let go of this doctrine, what else were they going to let go of? Um, and there are arguments within the two-point complementarian system that says, well, you know, the, the arguments of this was cultural or this was specific to the context or the specific to their time is the same arguments that are used for homosexuality or you slavery. Know, slavery or those kinds of things. So like how, how do you... Um, properly approach a hermeneutic in a text like this. What are those clarifying marks? How would how would you approach these texts? Like you've got, and, and maybe this would be a good point to kind of define some of this. There are different levels of complementarianism here at mm -hmm. this table. Mm -hmm. Some of these positions are developing. We're just hoping to introduce you to the conversation. So so as we talk about this. Um, what would be the hermeneutical processes for a one-point complementarian to say, yes, this is for the home, but not for the church? How would they pick and choose those verses? Yeah, so I want to I want to first of all say um, this is going to sound flippant, yeah. right? Do your best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I say that with I, I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, we're not best. saved by like there, there's <laughs> there's some really <laughs> things that we are responsible for, but there's a whole lot of things in scripture that are really not easy to define. Uh, and, They're and not easy to research. Do like your if you best don't have does it mean do what's convenient? It means like really dig into this and what does the text say? Yeah, and up until we had the printed word, we didn't even have to do our best. We just did what we were told. That's right. Yeah. We didn't. But yeah. now that we have the responsibility of of researching and everybody has the internet, and that's even more dangerous. Blue letter Bible. Right. Yeah. So you've got you've got the internet, you've got videos, you've got multiple teachers, you've got lots of ways to actually go and find out. And so, for example, when you go into a text of scripture that says, Sing and make music in your heart unto the Lord. And you look for an example of instrumental music in New Testament worship. You're not going to find one. Like there were no bands in the underground church, right? Or you know, jeans. Or, yeah, there just weren't. Like yeah. you didn't want people to know you were in a worship service because you get killed. So there's yeah. no example of music there. <laughs> so you have Old Testament and eternity. You're like, so was there were there was no a big conversation in your own background? Yeah. I mean, really, so were there any? Were heart. there no <laughs> instruments in the first century because was anybody it was playing illegal? The guitar, for Nobody instance. had instruments, <laughs> or was it a cultural thing? Was it was it a conditions thing, or was it a theological thing? And I went through those debates a long time. You went through the same thing on the practice of the sacraments and communion and baptism and how do we people do this? Do we do we baptize in the name of this? So you're trying to form these doctrines. And so what you do is um, you go to the scripture itself and you look at the scripture like in First Timothy chapter two, where Paul is writing specifically. It's one of the most um, strongest statements that he makes about the roles of women and men in the church. It's to a person that we would equate, equate to a senior pastor today, that would be Timothy. And you look at his congregation in Ephesus and you take a look at what did he say? And he said, you know, women, you learn in submission and, you know, don't, this is, this is an instruction. Uh, I don't permit you to teach and have authority over a man. Huh. I wonder if he said that anywhere else. 
Well, he didn't say it in the same way anywhere else. He actually uses a different Greek word for teach there than anywhere else and uses a different word for have authority over a man than anywhere else. So that uniqueness makes me dive into, is there anything in the culture that's unique here that I can find out about the culture in Ephesus, uh, the women in Ephesus, um, some of the historical teachings about Ephesus? Um, what, what are other theologians saying? And so that makes me dive deeper to see if this is a standalone deal or if this is unique or if it's consistent with scripture. He also says something here that's really unique in first Timothy two, where he says, Hey, for Adam was formed first and then Eve, you know, she's the one who, who sinned. And then it says, and women will be saved through childbirth. What in the world Hmm. is he saying here? So it forces you to say, that's a weird verse, throw it away. Or it forces you to say, I've got to dive deeper here to find out if this is cultural or not. And so then you, you have to, it's just basic hermeneutics and studying scripture. You go to that text, you look at other texts we're supporting, you look at what is the first reference of this. And he goes all the way back to Genesis. So this is a pretty good scripture to build some theology off of because he does reference Adam. He does reference creation. He does reference the curse of women in childbirth in, in Genesis. And so, huh, I've got to do some bigger dig, some deeper digging around this text because this is something that's pretty loaded. And I can't just like tell women to be quiet because First Timothy 2 says, why does it say that? And what's the overall narrative going on here? It's uh, Carmel on our podcast um, who's watching. She just said, if women are to be silent in the church, why did Jesus send women uh, to the well or at at well and Mary Magdalene to spread the gospel? That did that come out clearly? Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think we know the question means yeah. like uh, that Christ appeared first to women and gave them what, what, as far as we can tell, is the greatest honor of seeing. Yeah. Christ risen yeah. from the dead, the first eyewitness. It blows my mind. And what, what's really what's really awesome is like one of the major things that Jesus did was there was nobody who was more liberating to women in a male dominant culture than Jesus. And it makes me think that he almost did it just to offend people. Like think of all the people he could have appeared to first. I mean, what would have happened if Jesus would have gone straight to Herod? You know what I'm saying? And like, boom, dude, you know, like I'm, I'm alive. Told yeah, what if he like, <laughs> seriously, have you ever, I don't know if you ever traced that out, but like name the top 10 people you would appear to if you'd risen from the dead. <laughs> the guy who killed you. Top yeah. of the list. Yeah. The one who stabbed the spear Take in your side. Where's that, that dude? Hey, listen, I'm going to see you in two and a half and three days or to anybody. So why did he first appear to Mary Magdalene? Like, why her? Mm. Like, why the woman who perhaps was, you know, demons are out of her and she's got all these things going on in a moral lifestyle? Like why? Anything they accused him of hanging out with prostitutes because of yeah. why not his, hanging out with her. Why not his mom first or whoever? Like, there's sure. this Mary Mac. Why her? And so um, why did the gospel first get communicated from a female? Why did when Paul arrive in Philippi, the the first person who has a household conversion is Lydia, a woman? So all these things are like massive nuggets to yeah. me in scripture that emphasize that God not only is changing the entire culture and the value of women, because if you go to the book of Luke and Acts, man, Luke is kind of the doctor. He's the theolo- he's the he's the one who writes a whole lot of stuff. He wrote Luke and Acts, but he's kind of a he he's informed by Paul and yeah. strong Pauline theology. And man, he has a major theme in Luke and Acts of women. It's a major deal. So as as and, far as a point of agreement, everyone at the table would agree. Christ changes the role of women 
by in far. the New Testament. I think like, everyone on the table agrees that there's nobody there is a colossal jump in history. In history, like mm-hmm. the church is more empowering of women throughout history than like the rest of the world caught on to yes. the leadership of the church of empowering well, women in ministry that, that and leadership right there, and cultural. That statement you just made, I want to qu- qu- qualify that a little bit because you're not saying that that the church has always led the charge in an egalitarian uh, um, advance. What you're saying is historically, the, the especially Jesus in particular, right, at that that change of the... the well, women were viewed as commodity, yes. as, as land or cattle. Yeah, and so so Jesus was progressive in that sense. But yep. you're also not saying that the, the church has done the best job of that today. Right. Because when you say that statement historically, that's going to... I mean, that's a buzz statement right there. Okay. Half the people in the world are going... Whoa, 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 or half the women, yeah. you know, are going, whoa, 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 that's totally not true. But that's because their framework is the last 50 years. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about historically, historically. the church through the inspiration and the teachings of Christ and the apostles has given women more rights, had set free more captives of slavery than literally any other organization, thought group, religious philosophy out there. Yeah. That's what we're saying, that, that, that Christ's um, uh, doctrine, the doctrine of the apostles, the teaching, and what we see in Scripture clearly elevates women uh, into a position that they had n- they had never had prior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's something also that has stood out to me in, in it's it's let me let me preface this by saying okay, um, I had to do a whole lot of personal study and work because of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a male dominant home. My mom did what my dad said, pretty much, you know, and, and more so than than my friends and peers. Um, she grew up in a male dominant home. And there's a lot of male kind of leader, like it's a lot of lists. I mean, a lot of you here, you may have grown up that too, or maybe you didn't, I don't know. Um, but in Louisiana, it's in the South. It's a conservative denomination. I grew up with a whole lot. Okay. So I, I had to branch out of all that to come to understand like, what is the narrative? What's happening here in scripture? Why did God appoint Deborah, you know, at the level he did? Why did God do the things that he did throughout the Old Testament? And were these an exception? Was this because men weren't really fulfilling their purpose or why, why all this? And then you get to the New Testament. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. Jesus has women funding his ministry. Paul writes in Romans 16, like, really be sure the number one person to greet here is Phoebe. She's the <laughs> chief lead benefactor to my ministry, which means she's funding this thing. Yeah. And she's 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 a deacon in the church. That's an office, all right? So she's she's seen as a servant here. Um and if if she's a and, and and then you go on down and there's other women that he mentions there. Junia is another one, and there's a lot of debate today over whether or not she was an actual apostle, because the the word says that she's well known or high regarded among the apostles, and so whether that means she's um, highly regarded as an apostle or in the eyes of the apostle, regardless, greet this lady because she, she's a major game player in the kingdom of God in a big, huge way. Okay, so you see, you see a lot of a lot of this happening in scripture. And I think like what, what, what's at stake here for, um, for people to understand the value that Christ placed on women. And I thought, you know, um, I wonder if the way egalitarian and the feminist movement today in America is similar to what Paul was addressing 
And it really made me dive in even deeper. There's a great theologian I respect a lot. His name is N.T. Wright. So I don't know if you've studied N.T. Wright or not, but he did a lot of work on, uh, he's done a lot of work on all kinds of things in theology, but specifically he and a few others have really referenced the culture in Ephesus when Paul writes this letter to Timothy, right? And the culture in Ephesus there, I mean, if you've ever been there, I've I've been there uh, a couple of times. And when you go to the city of Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey, you go to this area, you're going to see um, one of the seven wonders of the world is this, mass, this massive temple that took 200 years to build, and it's the temple of the Greek goddess Artemis, who's like the daughter of Zeus, right? And in this temple, there is a woman, a female, who's the, the, the head of the temple. Only women can be a part of this temple culture unless it's castrated men. And literally all the statues of this Greek goddess Artemis it, like there's little like circular things all over her body. And everyone there in Ephesus says those are the testicles of men is what those are. Because the only way a man could serve in that temple was if he was castrated. What, what did you just say? Huh? <laughs> we need like a sound effect for that right there. Uh, a, a, a testicle <laughs> sound effect? Yeah. I don't think I'm comfortable with like that. Like all, all of her, <laughs> hey, this lady, like she makes like Wonder Woman, like, I mean, that, that whole Amazon woman thing is is Artemis. Like yeah. it's di- like there's that she's the goddess yeah. that actually, you know, will, the reason babies die in the womb is because they were speared by Artemis. I mean, she murdered people, men who tried to impregnate women. Like it was a real strong female dominant thing. So you look at that and you're like, why in the world are women trying to get leadership of, of men here? And then you're like, is, is, does that have anything to do with why Paul told Timothy in Ephesus to tell women that they don't know a first thing about Christ if they're trying to dominate their way into leadership and they need to learn in quietness and submission? Hmm. Is that why he did that? It, it's enough of a cultural thing that makes me wonder, was there something else Paul was addressing here? In this culture, why, why why did he tell them that you're going to be saved through childbirth? Was he telling them to stop giving their money to Artemis so that you can actually keep your babies from getting killed in this weird deal? Like, why, why was he getting the superstition out of here? Why was he telling them to not braid their hair and have all this gold for their beauty? Was he telling them to stop living according, according to the culture that's bowing down here? And then with that said, you come and look at Christ. And Christ says, listen, let me tell you what womanhood is. Womanhood is a woman who loves the Lord her God with all his, her heart, her soul, her mind, and her strength and loves her neighbor as herself. Let me tell you what biblical manhood is. It is a man who loves the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves his neighbor as himself. That's revolutionary. Yeah. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Women submit to your husbands as to, unto the Lord. This is a this is a beautiful picture of not complementarianism or egalitarianism, but Christ-like love. And Amen. this is the picture of the Trinity. It's the picture of being together, united. It's the picture of a, a unity as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Husband and, and, and wives, when you come together, you're one. And neither one of you to dominate the other. As a matter of fact, husbands, the way you lead your family is die for your wife. Wives, the way you influence your husbands and serve and lead in your family is to to to, to treat your husband, to, to, to serve him the way you serve Christ. And, and so Jesus changes all that. And for those of you watching, I just want to remind you all, we've got a phone number right there on your 
screen, 214-233-6292. Call in. We'd love to take your call uh, and we'll discuss all of this topic with you. If you have something specific, they're like, hey, they haven't addressed this yet. We're well into the program, 38 minutes in. We've only got 22 minutes left in the program. So uh, we haven't even been able to, to present uh, other positions here. So uh, for, for those of you who are watching, there are ranges of uh, uh, views here at this mm-hmm. table. Uh, I, I get confused on whether to call them egalitarian or complementarian because of the definitions of one point and two point complementarians yeah, at the beginning of the program. So I'm <laughs> afraid the people who are jumping on later on, they're going to be like, wait, you're all complementarians? Okay. So, uh, uh, the the one point complementarian position that is uh, that there are uh, different roles in the home that husbands and wives have different roles in the home uh, that suggests that there are things uh, within the home that each should do and could do in in submission and in leadership uh, that keep them both equal in value but different in role. You mentioned the Trinity, so at least we, 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 everyone again commonality. Let's let's try to agree on as much as we can agree on. You know, as far as commonality goes, the the idea that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in value and in essence, uh, they're all obviously one person uh, or three, <laughs> one God. In three persons. Uh, make sure I'm clear for all my theologians who are going to spear me to <laughs> the wall on that. You just did a 10 or 8 part series, I know. Right? <laughs> Heiser is like having a heart attack. Uh, uh, Heiser. I'm, I'm misquoting names too. Anyway, uh, uh, I need my wife here to help me with this. Um, so so we've got these different roles, Father, Son, Spirit, and they, they function. The Father doesn't die on the cross Christ dies on the cross. The Father empowers the Son, tells the Son, uh, uh, helps the Son. The Spirit uh, leads the Son, guides the Son, but the Spirit is not the Son. The Father is not the Son. They're equal in value, but different in roles. The Son of his own will, because of his nature, chose to find not in himself equality to be God, but, but humbled himself in the form of a servant, right? So Christ comes in the form of a servant, humbling himself to the Father. Now, this doesn't make the Son lesser than the Father. Uh, mm-hmm. So in that regard, there's a difference different function, there's a different role, but there's equal value. And we can say, at least in the home, uh, everyone can agree here, that that the different roles do not equate to different value. Uh, that that if a, a wife functions in a different way in the home, that doesn't make her less valuable than her husband. It just makes her different. And that's actually something I think that could be beautiful and is beautiful. Maybe we should talk about that for a minute before we move too far onto this. Well, uh, before we do that, let me just little, give a little caveat here. Um, something that I'm I'm just kind of tired and sick of yeah. is feeling like I have to apologize for having a differing position than someone else. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that happens on both sides. Well, probably more so on the complementarian side. Most complementarians today and, and the heated climate that we're living in, they feel like they have to apologize for being complementarian. That's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a difference in opinion about a, a, a non-core issue in the church um, doesn't make you out to be a, a hater of women uh, or hater of or you know somebody who's unwilling to empower. Um, that just mm-hmm. means you're doing the best you can to be integrous to Scripture. Um, and I think that, that that needs to be stated just across the board because it really is like yeah. even in amongst other believers, it does become like this sort of, well, you just want to keep people down, which I know we prefaced this earlier, but it's worth stating again for anybody who's about to call in. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, again, I, I don't think if you're a complementarian that you should have to apologize for being one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. And then uh, for those UK who are still listening, we want to frame this conversation the best that we can. Uh, we, we would agree that there are different roles for men and women in the home, at least everyone on this panel. And us of you who are watching at home are like, no, absolutely not. Uh, men and women function in the same role. What would you say uh, would be some of those roles that men and women function in the home that are different? 
would be willing to go there or yeah, yeah. is that a slippery slope? That no, not? it's not okay. at all. Yeah. And it's, it, and I'm, I'm actually, I'll probably surprise you with my answer on this is that when you get down to like what I said earlier on, if you want to really define what biblical manhood is and biblical womanhood is, um, when you start to get into specifics of what one does and what the other does, it's going to be really messy. I agree. Right. And so if you say the husband is the breadwinner and the wife stays home with the kids, it's really messy. Right. And there there are pastors, famous senior pastors who've actually said that that men um, should be ashamed of themselves and are kind of almost as worth as bad as an unbeliever if they're not the main breadwinners of the home, you know. And so there's extremes. Which we would disagree with that. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. Everyone at the table. So so there's um so when you get down to the roles, if you, if you get specific and say for every wife she should stay at home, that, that it's wrong. Like it, it it's it's wrong. So this is where I I am on this is that uh, it's not just completely choice, but I for however you want to define it, I'm I'm spiritually eternally responsible for providing spiritual leadership for my family. Okay, my wife. Regardless of how I think God may hold her accountable, um, if she actually says, you know what, I never kind of took authority and led the led the family spiritually, I let I let Jeff do that. Like I don't know how God's gonna handle that. I just know that in scripture, if headship means leadership, providing, source, all those kinds of things, then I function taking the responsibility, whether I'm passive, whether I have a more um introverted personality. Um, regardless of what my personality is, Christ calls really me to, 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 to take initiative. That, that's right? a really good point. Because so if you go, no, you're good. Cause I think that there, there are arguments made from, I, I want to say pretty really ignorant two point, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Complementarians that say, well, women can't do this because they're emotional or, or they're not, they're not careful thinkers or that's, that's folly. That's just yeah. silly Yeah, because there I are men it's... who are dumb as rocks yeah. and extremely emotional. Uh, and that argument falls apart very, very quickly. Th- this is my definition of biblical manhood. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. If Jesus says every single law yeah. is summed up in this, that's pretty important to me. And if I go and say, what is biblical womanhood? It is not being like your highest calling as a woman is not being a mother. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself, period. It's like that's it. If your highest calling as a father is not to be the provider of your family, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor yourself. If your wife is making $300,000 a year and you're making 50000 a year doing the absolute best you can, you're not less of a man because yeah. your wife's making more money. Like it, it has nothing to – like biblical manhood, biblical womanhood doesn't depend upon your 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 ability to, to, to grow a beard and fight – and have courage because the, the Bible calls women to courage the same way it calls men to Amen. courage. It yeah. calls women to Study take God's initiative word. to lead. Yeah. And this is evangelism. What's really, yeah. yeah. And what All you're going to find is like when you look at this is powerful and this is a whole nother thing. I was at the lake this weekend with one of our elders and we spent a few days together with our kids and wives and all this. And he's he's a, he, he's fluent in Hebrew. And uh, he's a, he's Jewish and um, sharp in scripture, you know. And he said, "Hey, listen, um, you, you need to take a look at what the word El Shaddai, the name El Shaddai, means, you know. And when you break it down, it literally is the the mighty breasted one. Like it's like this, 
this this nurturing aspect of God who nurtures and protects his It's euphemistically meaning Yeah, that, that, that there's there are female attributes to God. Someone like, had got on the comment section and said that He's uh, not just masculine. You know, yeah. if if women can't lead, nobody tell that to the Holy Spirit, she'd be ticked. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not let's oh, not God. use that that because that's that's just again Everyone laughed, and there's different views here. That that's just bad exegesis. No, the Holy Spirit's not a woman. Uh, and, and he, anyway, uh, and, uh, but there are feminine attributes to God. There are masculine attributes to God. Because because <laughs> man and woman are created in God's image. Yeah, and so the extreme egalitarian would say, drop feminine, drop a masculine. These are yeah. all just human. Yeah, or God, these God are all just divine. Neutral. Whatever gender neutral. Yeah. However, there there are feminine attributes to every male. We 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 all came into the the world with both X and Y chromosomes. That's we right. came into the world with with the ability. Sensitivity is not femininity. Yeah. And and courage and strength is not masculinity. masculinity. However, good. we don't want to feminize males and make them apologize for being masculine. Yeah. Neither do we want to cause women, call them to toughen up because of their sense. Like there's a, all of us need sensitivity. All and, of us need vulnerability. All of us need strength and courage and boldness. Yeah. And furthermore, it's not education, right? Yeah. We're not saying that, uh, especially that, that second Timothy text when it's talking about now, now we're kind of skipping into the, the church government mm-hmm. realm, uh, that women are less educated mm-hmm. uh, since 1991. Uh, women have been graduating college more than men. The yeah. idea that, that, uh, two-point complementarians are looking at the church uh, and saying, well, women aren't as smart as men. They can't apply these things. They're easily, they're more easily deceived than men. Again, that's, that is a poor two-point complementarian argument. And I would say that's, that's silly. And the text and doesn't this say This is an interesting Most statistic. Two-point complementarians that I'm, that we know, that we don't know. say that. They, know, they wouldn't yeah, say that. They would never I'm, say that. I'm know, letting, I'm kind of disarming all the other arguments out there. Yeah. There are lots of senior pastors today who are females. And this is yeah. an interesting statistic. It's three years old, but 77% of female pastors have a seminary degree. Okay. 63% of male pastors have a seminary degree. So more women pastors are degreed than they're male taking pastors. their education and doctrine more Seriously. seriously than the males are. The males are Is that just a Western t- statistic. It's um, and 10% of senior pastors in Protestant churches are female in 2009. And this is Anglicans, Presbyterians, and Lutherans. You know, the, 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 the appreciation for the creeds, the historicity of things. And like, just let me give you an example. If I ask a man to preach at Anchor Church, he's going to do his best to give a good message. But I won't forget the very first uh, Mother's Day at Anchor. And we had just started. We were six months old. And I asked one of our female leaders to speak that day. She has like six to 800,000 people following her in her business. She speaks at corporate platforms all the time, all around the world. She makes more money than anybody I know. Yeah, Yeah. And she preached that day and she's never had a more nerve wracking week in her life Mm -hmm. because she's like, I know that this is a sacred book. I know this is and I I speak a lot, but preaching, I've never felt the weight and the pressure from God to be more careful. Men, for whatever reason, are typically sometimes more 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 loose with just conversation about God because we're not used to carrying that. Yeah. Right. And so she comes there. And so the appreciation she brought is one of the most accurate messages that, 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 and I'm saying that to say that females tend to take their seminary, their training, their ordination even more serious because they're, for whatever reason, there's, there's a, there's more of an appreciation for, 
uh, the position or the role or the leadership because they're, they're, they're not, maybe not as used to, to that. So numbers on the screen, guys, 214-233-6292. Call the number, jump on the program. We have enough time for like a question or two. This, I see you guys blowing up the comment section. Just call in and ask the question. I mean, it would make life simpler. Everyone's staying tuned to wait for one of you to call in. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, we, we, we're, we're, we're jump. We're probably gonna have to do a part two. There's just no way we got 12 minutes. Oh, we haven't even it's touched the text. I mean, we, we really haven't. We haven't touched the text. We're just trying to disarm the conversation to the best mm-hmm. of our ability, find as much common ground as possible before we jump into this. Um, uh, th- that, being said, we, you know, we, we have these texts, um, uh, the first Timothy account, you know, you've addressed quite a few of those items, uh, help us with the, uh, the Adam was formed first and then Eve, there is an argument on the egalitarian side or the, maybe the one point complementarian side that, um, Eve's desire will to be, will be for her husband. And that the argument is that this is a desire that she will have to rule over her husband. And it's part of the fall. And that Christ has res- reversed that. Would you, um, being, and I'm a <laughs> shocker here, uh, letting everyone know that you're a one point complementarian, right? So in the home, but not in the church. Well, no, no, that's not entirely true. Probably so, yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's, I'm okay that's how he with him like a one and a half, <laughs> one and three quarters. Yeah, we, we have a, like, our, in our, in our, we have male elders at Anchor Church. Um, we have fe- some female pastors. Um, and, and you all define between pastor, pastor and elder, elder differently? Um, well, th- let me let me say this: they 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 are our kids' pastor is a female, um, and and so forth. So they're we're we're not opposed to women being ordained as pastors and, and as preaching elders. in a church. Could they um, do the sacraments? We, Could they marry and and bury? Uh, we don't. We th- there are you haven't gone there yet. We, still we are in, in the process of developing different position papers on that, you know, and so um, it'll be fun to see where we land with all that. But I I know where I land personally on those things. And so, so if I said like I would let a wa- a woman, you know, be a children's pastor, I would let. Okay, I believe scripture allots for women to be children's pastors, worship leaders, um, youth pastors. I, I would be willing to have that conversation as well. Again, I, I would think that scripture we should at least talk about that. You know. Uh, would you put me in a similar camp then? Would you make me a one point? Well, yeah, according to to Wayne Grudem, Grudem and then really, yeah. that's yeah, well, one Grudem, point. Grudem would he wouldn't ordain it. You couldn't call pastors like they they're directors or servants or whatever. And there's right. even a, a little bit of a differentiation on at what age can you teach a male? Like, and so some of these are like you you. Like it's really it's it's really strange. Like because when you start to try to break that down, Paul didn't say that. He says women remain silent in the church. Like yeah. and, and, he, and he says pretty clearly, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel. And then he says in verse 12 in Second First Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right. And so that one verse is like, what, what is he saying here? Like, what, what, is, what does teach mean? Do you look at the Greek at teach? It's a little bit different word. And in this verse, he is specific. Different the word, from what? The other the, the words of the teach. Word teach. Yeah, okay. so the, there's other words for teach. And so when you look up that specific word for teach, he is specifically saying, I I am, I am want you, um, I liken it to, N.T. Wright likens this specific text to Luke 10. He says, this is what's happening in this Diana culture, you know, God, Diana, and Artemis. This is what's happening here. And when you go to Mary and Martha in the house, and the disciples are there. One of them sits at the feet of Jesus and is receiving teaching. 
And he says, that's the picture that Paul's painting here. Sit down and receive the teaching of Christ. Don't try to force your cultural perspective of religion onto the church here in this small house church setting. They didn't have platforms and thousands of people. It's a small, intimate house church type setting, conversational, where people are prophesying, they're teaching, they're speaking in tongues, they're giving words of knowledge and all these kinds of things. It's a home house church type setting. And for whatever reason, Paul is saying, hey, listen, women, whenever you come together, I don't permit you to, to teach or exercise authority over man. What does the word teach there? It's to actually force. It's the word he's used this here is to literally come in like a director of a play. Um, it's a play role where you're giving the words that people you're, you're not indoctrinating people. You're forcing the actual words that people say. You're, you're, we, we, I don't permit you to force your will upon a man. Now, I'm just, just curious on this. Is this your argument or is this something you read from some scholar? Because, I mean, yeah, we start so, getting into the real meaning of the word teach. It's yeah, like, so what, you, what is the, the meaning of the word is? Didaskin is the word, <laughs> D-I-D-A-S-K-E-I-N. And so it means to teach. It's got a very specific, and this is N.T. Wright, you know. Okay, it's got so a very specific limited application from. in the Greek language. It literally means the way in which a Greek dramatic poet taught the actors in a play to say their lines and how to perform the bits of action. And so it's it's a it's a it's an instruction word of indoctrinating. I don't permit you to indoctrinate a man by force and kind of you, you can't come and dictate the doctrine of Christ straight from your culture or whatever. That may be what he's saying there. We don't know that because the Bible didn't say that. It just says be quiet. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the next word that he uses there that's kind of controversial is have authority over. And that word is aquatine. So the Greek word translated over authority above. That's going to say thing. Aquatina, your force. <laughs> yeah. So it actually has more of a specific meaning and it means to have full power authority over, What's impose one's will over, people? inundate and overpower to govern in a manner that uses corrupt power for selfish interest. You know, it becomes clear then that Paul's saying to Timothy instructing against excesses and specifics here and not a generalized actions among women. And you'll see even more as you consider the culture existed at Ephesus in the time that Paul wrote to Timothy. So, so, the, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna back, to backtrack just because I'm per personally curious. You're saying that you're one, one, one point, point complementarian. complementarian. But uh, so in that conversation on these, these papers that you're doing, is there any women involved in the creation of these doctrines? Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I'm yeah. going to mention this. <laughs> We we are we are we have reached out to multiple women to have a conversation on the show, and we are going to continue that uh, conversation piece. Uh, one of the, the the our viewers was very concerned about this, and I was just letting them know there. I have reached out to quite a few of them. Either they haven't responded, or they've responded and said no. Uh, we are relatively choosy in having people come on the show. We do want the show to be theology and not opinion and speculation. So trying to find someone who I don't want to say specializes in this topic, but is is affluent in this topic mm -hmm. is something that's important. So if you know of someone that you would like to suggest, link them up here. We would love to, to reach out we, to them. This is my official the invitation to Beth Moore. You come on this show. We would welcome you on this show. Yes, we would welcome <laughs> you on the show. Beth Moore, come on. We She's making a this. big difference in this right now. I would yeah. say this, like we, we've set up our government to where, you know, I, I, we have a plurality of elders, right? And I don't know of any of our elders that, that, don't include our wives in some level of conversation with with these kind of things. And so by the time we land a position paper on where we stand with women's role and leadership in the church, there'll be a whole lot of women speaking into that. Yeah. And if we ever, you know, 
that's and, and it's, it's really funny. Uh, uh, Tim uh, Woodcock, he's been on the show before. <laughs> well, that's he wrote, that comment isn't actually on there. It's not it's visible. For <laughs> I'm just letting you guys know it's hilarious. He said jewelry. That means and gives a definition of uh, the dress of a female prostitute. But because the verbiage is so like crass, YouTube goes, uh, do you want to approve this? message?" <laughs> so I think that's hilarious. I'm going to go ahead and hit show. So now it's visible. So you're welcome, Tim. Uh, I, I love Tim. He's a, he's a great non- Two point complementarian. <laughs> we just weigh in here, Tim. Are Noah, you a one point? Are you an egalitarian? What Noah wrote. He said, uh, "You have to get sheologians on the show. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's sheologians. Sheologians. It's a show uh, that's produced by uh, Apologia Radio. There's a show called Sheologians. No way. And they're completely complementarian. Uh, as in, they they have one. They don't they don't have children's ministry. Uh, they all they have uh, integrated church. So the kids, the youth, they all come into one corporate assembly. Uh, women are not. Permitted to teach in that, and they have a, a women's theology theology show, which is something that's really interesting for those of you who are out there. There are two point complementarians that say, in the local church, in mm-hmm. the and, and this is uh, my position that I'm I'm learning to articulate, um, is that women are permitted to teach in uh, uh, seminaries. They're able to teach in you know theology programs. Yeah. Come on shows and have conversations. Where uh, what we're looking at is trying to determine. Does God give a specific role for men to preach on the corporate gathering of the church and to lead the church in areas of church discipline, sacraments, and ordination? Yeah, we we probably need to like focus an entire hour on that. Like yeah, on, what, on that. We, on we've that. done the one part. And I mean, we've got like uh, 30 60 seconds, seconds to <laughs> God. Yeah. So, so I'd love to have you back on if you're interested in coming back awesome. on. Were we kind fun. enough? And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Okay, so, so, so no hurt feelings at the table. We Even hope we did make an aqua teen hunger force. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you guys who are watching and you've enjoyed the program, give us a like. Uh, obviously, none of you liked it enough to call in. But we'll leave that neither here nor there. Uh, also, uh, go check out Jeff's church, Anchor Church, out in, uh, is it McKinney, Texas? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I can't remember if it's Allen or McKinney. I, McKinney. Yeah. They can, yeah. McKinney. can they do download the sermons? What's the website? Yeah, yeah. Myanchorchurch.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes so you'll be able to download that. I also, uh, some of you have noticed, uh, I put some working definitions of complementarianism, egalitarianism, and I linked up a 62-page document. I forget how many pages it is from the Village Church. Matt Chandler and his guys put together this document. I think it's beautifully written uh me and my wife read it she weeped i was moved um, why did she uh, weep as the question <laughs> well, the, 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 she, she yeah and enjoy because the idea of being a complementarian if it's not defined well just sounds like guys get to lead the show and women get to do nothing but like this document is re- very very empowering and women prophesy women evangelize but women have like you said grudem came out with 82 things 83 women, 83, 83 it, it, it things says that, in 1995 he wrote a whole document on 83 things that he sees women it, and i'm like this is where complementarianism gets really weird yeah <laughs> because you you you're obviously being very selective on what people can do and so it's worth going into what's the difference or selective on what people can't do. yeah yeah, yeah. And so what 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 is the <laughs> difference second edition in that will be 83 things women can do in church <laughs> yeah and it, it kind of people like found we another found one. <laughs> yeah what are yeah but anyway i think it's worth a conversation of looking into like what what is the purpose of having elders and leadership like what are these just a man-made thing yeah. is there anything ordering this in the world and there is for sure and um getting really responsible having a really heart for the integrity of doing things in the will of christ and protecting that there's a they've gotten they've gotten really clear on how they define what a woman is not 
um, authorized in Scripture to do. And it's hard to prove that, yeah. but it's it, it it it's worth going through the conversation on why is the United Pentecostal Church? I mean, the United the the uh, Presbyterian oh. Church and um and other pres. Why, why is there such a difference in these denominations? Why are there women bishops and why are why are some churches uh, ordaining homosexuals? And why is this gender thing coming up? And that's there. It does get slippery yeah. once you start redefining like some of the words in Scripture. And um, and that's what they're afraid is going to happen when so, you start loosening things. And I think up. You're I saying think some both it sides is happening. I mean, it it's really happening is. a lot. They're both redefining words, theological yeah. hurdles that they have to yeah, jump. They're saying sexuality was cultural, and just like slavery was cultural, and yeah. so all these things are cultural. And so when you put everything into a cultural category, you end up at the extreme of egalitarianism, and then you end up with baptizing a cats. Low, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so, and that's, that's the thing, past, both, both sides have a difficult time coming to this text, so we're going to do our best to, to explain some of this to you. We'll, maybe we'll have four people on next week and try to unhash this, uh, you know, uh, from different positions so that we can really try to hash some of this stuff out. It's going to be fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it thus far. Questions, comments, concerns, love letters, death threats, or anything else, you can hit right here in the comment section. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Be blessed. We'll see you next time. Great. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.